Thank you, BT, and um, good morning. It's uh, really good to be in worship with you uh, today, and um, uh, we are going to continue our series through the book of Titus, and we've been doing a uh, topical series um, through the book of Titus, and we have taken the book of Titus. Typically what we do, we'll take a book of the Bible. For those of you who are new, we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll teach through the book of the Bible verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. But we're doing something a tad bit different with the book of Titus. We're um, allowing Titus to kind of pick the topics, even though the book of Titus is uh, written by Paul to Titus to train elders to put things in order in the church. Yet, there are topics that arise in the book of Titus that, um, that we are, uh, we've been kind of going after, things that we would not typically uh, talk about, things that we would not typically go after, and, um, and we're looking at what the Bible actually says about that, whether it is anger when Jack talked, or whether it is humility when Dave talked, or blamelessness when Brian talked, and talking about marriage, faithfulness in marriage, and talking about how do we raise our children in a culture that seemingly has gone, um, that's out of control. And today we talk about another one of those issues that, um, that you simply would not, we would not talk about otherwise um, if, if it didn't show up in the, in the text. Now, again, um, we are going to, I recognize that this topic that we're talking about can be polarizing and it can be controversial. I, wanted, I want to acknowledge that from, the, from, from Jump Street. There are individuals who are uh, in our church that are there, you're from a different culture and the way you relate to the, the topic that we're going to talk about might be a, a tad bit different. We want to talk about what the Bible says and not bring a burden to a blessing. We want to talk um, very openly about what scripture says and not our opinion about that. So we're going to be talking about today, you know, in the club getting tipsy. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about alcohol. Uh, that's not necessarily an Advent topic, and yet it is so relevant to our lives. It is so relevant to where we live today. Uh, it is so, so relevant to our lives. I didn't know this, and I found out this week that, um, that the day before Thanksgiving is one of the highest drinking weekends or the day uh, in our culture. I didn't, I didn't realize that and uh, talk about relevancy, right? People are going back home and they're going to visit their friends and they're, and, and so, so it, it is, it, it's relevant not only for our culture, but if we're talking about bridging the gap between Van Gogh's Starry Night, Turbulence and Chaos, and his uh, Raising Lazarus, Peace and Hope, then this is a subject that I think we need to talk about. We need to get some level of clarity on. Now, I would admit that um, for some, you've probably already, for some Christians, you probably already have settled this in your mind, and this will probably be a refresher for you. For others, um, you're probably hearing it for the first time in church, and 
And he said, like, today is one of those days where, like, man, I, 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 I've always wondered about it, but I need to get clarity on it. Now, I, I want to say this, what we're talking about today, it is larger than moralism. It is larger than do's and don'ts, and I hear some of you in your mind saying, man, is one of those churches, right? Like, like, don't do this, don't smoke, don't drink, don't date girls that chew tobacco and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Probably got that wrong, but that's kind of the idea is that you are, you, you probably were, for some, you were raised in a church that says don't, 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 and yet this subject is so much bigger than a don't. It is actually, um, we'll, we'll get to that. It's much, much bigger than that. Now I can give you, I can bore you with the statistics and I can bore you with the cost and of, um, of, of this particular subject. I can, I can easily, you know, talk about the statistics and numbers of individuals who have died because of alcohol-related accidents. I could do that. I don't want to do that. I, I, I think some of that, you know, you can, you can Google that. And yet, I want to talk about what the Bible actually says about it so that you and I might gain clarity, so that you and I might build a theology about relating to and the use of alcohol. I want you and I to actually think about what, what, what is biblical, what is wise as we talk about this particular subject. And so... Um, where does this come from? Well, if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to Titus chapter 1 and, um, and verse number 7. We'll start at verse 5, but we'll go to verse 7. It says, and this is why, if you're looking on the Bible that the church provides, is page 998. So this is why I left you in Crete. This is Paul talking to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in, into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So we've been talking about the context. If anyone is above reproach, husband of one wife, we talked about that, the children are believers, we talked about that, and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination or disobedience. For an elder or an, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And we talked about that. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or here it is, or a drunkard, or violent. So next week, we're going to talk about violence. How should a Christian deal with and think about and relate to violence? But today, we want to talk about this piece here, or a drunkard, or someone who drinks alcohol. Now, now I, want to, I want to say that, that, that it seems in Scripture, there is a um, kind of a special warning, if you will, to leaders and to those who are in control of people and who are in control of decisions. So that's one. That's we see it in Titus chapter 7. But here's Proverbs 31, 4, and 5. It says, uh, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Now, again, what we're going to see that the Bible does not prohib prohibit the consumption of alcohol. It does prohibit, and we're, again, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, it does prohibit drunkenness. It does prevent and prohibit the alcohol in excess. 
But in this case, it seems like God has a kind of kind of he's given a a special kind of warning to leaders and those who are leading people and those who are leading people, particularly in the church and leading large groups of people. And again, I think part of it is is because decisions have to be made. Decisions for literally hundreds of people, or maybe tens of people, ten, you know, tens of people, or thousands of people. And sometimes, as the Bible indicates with in the Proverbs, is that when a king or an elder or a leader is out of control or not sober, they have a tendency to make decisions that will impact people possibly in a negative way. Sometimes you might forget that these are the values that you said you would hold to. And so God has a seemingly a special warning for leaders. Here's another passage, Leviticus chapter 10, verses uh, 8 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine or strong drink you or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting lest you die. It shall be a statute forever or a law forever uh, throughout your generations. You are, to distinct, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statues that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Now, what God is saying to Moses is, or uh, Aaron, is that you are priests. You have a responsibility to lead people to the, uh, to the face of God. And so I want you sober when you do that. Now, again, remember, we're talking about the difference between drunkenness and consumption of alcohol. So God seemingly has a special warning for leaders because leaders are leading so, so many people. They make such an impact. James chapter 3 says, be not many teachers. Don't, don't, uh, be not many teachers for teachers will receive the stricter judgment. In other words, like what I'm doing now has such an impact. And if I am doing it wrong or if I'm teaching falsely, it can impact your life in a negative way. And I think that's the idea behind what God is saying to leaders regarding the consumption of alcohol. Now, now I want... I want to say that that's kind of, a, uh, kind of a precursor, part of the reason why Paul was telling Titus to train leaders in that way, to, because the, the church that you're leading, people are dealing with all kinds of chaos. They're dealing with all kinds of addictions. They're dealing with all kinds of stuff in their lives. And if they're leaders, the ones who are mentoring and leading are actually um, drinking alcohol in excess, how can you be an example to those that you're attempting to lead? So that's, that's kind of, there's a sense where God gives a special warning to leaders. But now, so, so what, what is it for us as followers of Jesus? Now, that is the context of, context of the, timid, the, the Titus passage. But it has a larger ramification for us. How then should the believer, the follower of Christ, think about and relate to and use 
alcohol. So here's the thought that I want to try to get across today. Every follower of Jesus can swim to safety in a world drowning in alcohol by considering several biblical principles. Every follower of Jesus can swim to safety in a world drowning in alcohol by considering several biblical principles. Number one, number one, right off the bat, God gives alcohol as a blessing. So what we see in Scripture, we see in Scripture that this, um, this gift, and, and obviously things have changed over a period of time um, in terms of the, um, the, uh, the, the strength of alcohol, and yet we see throughout Scripture that God gives it as a blessing. And there are several blessings that are associated with it. Now, this is um, 1 Samuel chapter 25, 35 through 37. It says, Then David received from her hand what she brought to him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail, the one who brought David this food and wine, Um, came to Nabal, her husband, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him because he was very drunk. He had drunk in excess. So she told him nothing at all that night because he couldn't hear it. In the morning when the wine had gone out, that's sober, he was sober now, his wife told him these things, talking, and, and his heart died within him, and he became a stone. It's like he died from the news. And the news was this, that David, who was actually being chased by Saul, and David um, is, uh, Nabal had treated David poorly in times past, and so David is near uh, Nabal's house. And his wife tells him that, hey, David was running from Saul. He needed food. He needed wine. He needed sustenance. I gave it to him. And Nabal was like, whoa. He was like, he was like, like filled with anxiety to the point where he died. So the first blessing is sustenance. That, that, that uh, in this case, Abigail gave David sustenance, the blessing of provision. Food and wine can be a blessing because it is provision. Here's a second blessing. A second blessing, um, and that's found in Psalms 104, verses 14 and 15. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. So the point here in the psalmist is, is that it is a blessing for the enjoyment of life. Now, again, I know the dangers that are associated with it. We're going to talk about that. I know the, uh, the, the pain that it's caused all kinds of families, family members. But even in that, we still must see that, that God gives it 
not only as sustenance, but also as a blessing for the enjoyment of life. First Timothy chapter uh, 5, verse 20, uh, actually John chapter 2. Again, I'm not going to read the entire passage. Some of you know this passage. is Jesus goes to a wedding. And at that wedding, the wine runs out. And Jesus' mother says, hey, the wine has run out. Would you, uh, like, would you do something? And I don't know what she expected him, you know, to, you know, to send his boys down to a Spartan party store like that. I don't know. I don't think that was the case. But, but Jesus' Jesus's mother said, do something about this. And, 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 and she didn't expect him to do this. Jesus takes 160 gallons of water and he turns it into wine. And the wedding reception goes on. And it was a great wedding reception. And so there's this sense, the blessing of celebration that's associated with wine. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul tells Timothy, another young pastor, no longer drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. In this case, wine was used for medicinal purposes. And I don't want anybody saying, oh, you know, I think I feel a stomach ache coming on. <laughs> so it was used for medicinal purposes, right? And and it is a blessing. It is a blessing that comes from the hand of God. Amos chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people, Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord, oh God. Now, this passage is connected to John chapter 2. This passage is actually connected. So, so the, one of the evidences that Messiah is here, that the wine would flow freely. And at the wedding feast, 160 gallons of water turned into wine. That's a lot of wine. It was a symbol and a sign that Jesus was making at that moment that Messiah is here. And so, so, so one of the blessings, it was used to announce not only the Messiah, but also the coming of the Messiah a second time. So there's this sense of association with, uh, with, with, um, with, with wine and alcohol as a blessing from God. And yet I understand that some people are thinking now, wait a minute, like, whoa, you don't know how much damage it's done. And yet that doesn't preclude it being the origination of what God had in mind, it being a blessing. So that's the first thing. That's a blessing. Secondly, secondly, God prohibits drunkenness. 
He doesn't prohibit the consumption of alcohol. He does prohibit the consumption of alcohol in excess and to the point of drunkenness. In other words, to the point of losing control of your life. Losing control. Listen to the text. It says, this is uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, and, and rivalries. Now, that's in verses 19 uh, of Galatians chapter 5. And then verse 21, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me say this. He, doesn't, he is not saying that those who drink will not inherit the kingdom of God. He is not saying that if, if, um, if perchance, like, like man, you had too much and you are a follower of Jesus, that somehow you won't go to heaven. That, that's not the case here. He is talking about individuals who live this way as a lifestyle, who live this way as a lifestyle. And so part of, part of what it means to not allow the Spirit of God to be in control of your life, you let literally, we let everything else be in control of our lives, including envy and on this list, drunkenness. That is drinking in excess. So here is, here's, a, um, here's the third point, but it's kind of connected to the second one. God commands us to be controlled, should be by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and do not, here it is, the prohibition, do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery or is debauchery. It leads to wild living, reckless living but be filled with the Spirit. So what Paul does here, he actually contrasts things that are in control of our lives. He makes a, con a contrast, that is, between alcohol that has control, that alcohol, uh, uh, people who drink in excess, is now being controlled by a spirit, another spirit, and then he says, I want you to not be controlled by that spirit. I want you to now be controlled as a follower of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Now, now every person in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of every single one of us. Now, how much control he has is really up to us on a daily basis. And so what Paul is saying here is, is that some of you, I'm, I'm warning that some of you have given over the control of your life to alcohol. I want you to back that up and I want you to now give your life over to the control of the Spirit of God. See, I told you, this is not about moralism. This is not about your grandmother's church. Don't do this. Don't do that. This is about, here it is, this is about who has control of our lives. That, that's what this is all about. This is, this, again, this is not about, um, man, I can't do it, I can't do it. This is about how the Spirit of God is leading every single one of us. Paul clearly points out that getting drunk is a prohibition. 
is that when you and I drink in excess, what ends up happening, there are things that come out of our mouths and there are things we say and what they call it, liquid courage. I think they call it liquid courage, right? Like, like, they, like, like there are things that we would not say, things that we would not do. And the moment we have drunk in excess, we say things that like, like it's there. And the alcohol kind of, it just, it comes out or it says, and, and again, I'm not saying this from, from something that I read about. I'm, I saw it in my dad. My dad said things and, and did things that, that, that it was, he was out of control. The alcohol was, was in control of his life. And, and so, so the, it's, it's about who is in control. When the spirit is in control, we sing songs to God. When the other spirit is in control, we play air guitars and we do all kinds of stuff, right? Like, like just like all kinds of stuff. But when the spirit of God is in control, we're more loving and peaceful and kind. When the spirit of God is in control, we're more self-controlled, that we are faithful and we are gentle. When the alcohol is in control, our lives sometimes feel like it's out of control and, it's, and it's, it's a wreck and we say things and we hurt people. And then we wake up and say, I don't remember even saying that. And there are individuals saying, I don't even remember doing that. I don't remember ever being in that place. And so there's this sense Paul makes a contrast between the spirit's control and the alcohol's control. So here's a a fourth thing. A spirit-controlled follower of Jesus, I think, should consider several important words thinking about and relating to alcohol. So, again, the question is, then if, if I am being led by the Spirit of God, then how should I think about alcohol? If you're led by the Spirit of God, how should, you, how should a Christian think about alcohol? How should a Christian relate to alcohol? And I understand there are people from different cultures, the, the, your, the, the way you were raised. We want to talk about what the Bible says. And so what words should I keep in mind as I'm talking about for the, the Spirit-led person? So the first one is devotion. Everybody say devotion. devotion. All right, devotion. Now, again, what I'm about to say has nothing to do with an edict or its binding, uh, but these are words that you and I should consider. And the first one is devotion. So this is from Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite uh, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of, of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dry. So the idea here is, is that Aaron, one of God's priests, or actually uh, there were individuals who made a Nazarite vow. In other words, they you know, said that, that uh, no razor would come to my head, 
apparently that's not true of me, um, um, Samson did not cut his hair. And one of the other vows was that he wouldn't drink. So that was, a, that was, a, that was out of devotion to God. It was, it was a season. It, it was this sense where, where an individual says, I am by the Spirit of God who is leading me now, I will make for this season, I will make a vow to God, a vow to my family, a vow to others that I will not drink for. For some, for some people, it's a period of time. Remember, this is not binding. So if you're teaching Sunday school or if you're teaching vacation Bible school, if you volunteer um, with small children or what have you, you, the Spirit of God, again, this is about the Spirit being in control. He might say, hey, I want you for the next five months not to touch alcohol. And if you and I cannot do that, it probably suggests that we've become dependent. Because the Spirit of God is the one who is in control. So, so, so during the Lenten season, 40 days before resurrection, there are individuals who make vows that for the next 40 days, I am not going to drink alcohol because I want to actually move my life, I want to move my life closer to God. So individuals make a devoted vow. Again, has nothing to do with right or wrong. It is about a spirit-led devotion to God. Here's a second one. Faithfulness. Everybody say faithfulness. So this is a, this is a, a story out of Jeremiah chapter 35, and here, here, uh, here's part of it. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak with them and bring them to the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and then offer them wine to drink. But they answered, we will drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab. Our father commanded us, you shall not drink wine, neither your sons, your, uh, neither your sons forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow seed. Um, you shall not plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in tents all the days uh, all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. And then uh, verses 18 and 19 says, God blessed them as a result. Now, this is a one family that decided that our family is not going to drink. Again, this is not, you don't have to say, hey, we're going to make that vow as a family. Again, I'm not saying that this is binding, but this one family made a decision that we're not going to drink. Just it's going to be our legacy that we're not going to, we're, we don't want to look like everybody around us. They were nomads, and so they lived in tents for all of their lives. That was one thing. And another thing is like, hey, we're not going to drink alcohol. That's the reason they rejected when Jeremiah offered it to them in the house of the Lord. Said so we're not going to do that. Not because it was right or wrong or it was, no, it wasn't that. It was it was we wanted to be faithful to the legacy of our family. That's, that's kind of the idea. And it is a spirit-led faithfulness. Now, some of you might decide that. 
Maybe some of you say, well, hey, our, our family has a history of alcoholism. Our family has a history of abuse associated with alcohol. And guess what? It's just like starting right now, I just want to I, I wanna help our family understand this a little bit better. And we want to pass it down from generation to generation. A third is wisdom. It's wisdom. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, who has woe or sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. And your heart utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like the one who lies on top of a mass. They struck me. And you will say, but I, I, was, I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. So everybody knows there's wisdom. It's not a matter of right and wrong. The drunkenness is the prohibition. Drinking in excess is the prohibition. When we're talking about this subject, it is what is the wisest thing to do? It's not wise to offer alcohol to underage individuals. Plus, it's against the law. It's not wise to drink and, um, and, and you are drinking in excess or you're drinking and driving. That, that's not only wise, it's against the law. So what is the wisest thing? We all know the dangers of alcohol in excess. All we have to do is look up the numbers and see the cost and to see the number of deaths. Now, there are individuals, let me, let me say this, let me say this, there are individuals here who battle and struggle and your body simply cannot handle alcohol. It's probably the wisest thing for you to do is to maybe, maybe not go to a bar around the holidays if you know that you cannot. There are some people's bodies, there's just something in them, the chemical imbalance where they just can't handle it. And some of those individuals, you're in this room, you're watching online, and you're saying, I can't believe you're talking about this. And don't you know? And, and, and I understand that. And, and, and someone actually shared this with me at the, at the, um, in between the services, is that if I have a milk allergy, you shouldn't stop drinking milk because I have a milk allergy. Or, or if you are allergic to uh, tomato sauce, I can guarantee you, if I'm not allergic to tomato sauce, I am not going to stop eating pizza. So, so, so I think there are some things that we, and I don't, I don't want to make light of it, but there are some individuals who say, I am going to saddle you with what bothers me. And, and the Bible just simply says, use Wisdom. We know the destructive nature. Use wisdom. Fourthly, the kingdom of God. 
the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, for John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. And what we have here, we have two individuals who advance the kingdom of God. John the Baptist, who chose not to drink. Why? Because he wanted to bring the kingdom to the Pharisees. Jesus, who chose to drink socially, not a drunkard, because he wanted to bring the kingdom of God to those who are prostitutes and those who were getting drunk. So the kingdom of God is much larger. And so in this case, there are individuals who say, you know something, I am going to decide not to drink because I want to have a godly witness to my Muslim friend or to my Hindu friend or to someone else who if I am drinking, it would actually put up a wall between me and that person. And another person might say, hey, I'm going to France, I'm going to Germany, I'm going to someplace else, and I might have an opportunity to share the gospel, and they might invite me to a pub, they might invite me to have wine at dinner, and if I reject that, if I refuse that, it's actually being rude, and, and it might actually stop me from actually being able to share the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God with someone. So again, we're talking about what the, what the Bible clearly says and not we're just making up stuff. And I don't want anybody saying, well, well I'm going witnessing tonight. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the point. The point is as we go, we have an opportunity. And then lastly, love. Love. Romans chapter 14, verse 20, uh, 20 and 21. It says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. There are individuals who simply cannot handle it. And by you drinking wine um, uh, in front of them, it could cause them to go against their conscience and it could cause them to actually go, go down a road that could lead to destruction. So our job led by the Spirit is I love people more than my right to drink alcohol. I love my brother and sister, and if it's going to cause them to stumble, if it's going to cause them to fall, if it's going to cause them to become drunk or drink in excess, or if it's going to cause them to go back into a lifestyle they once lived, guess what? I am choosing to lay down my right because you are more important than my right. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so love is the final word. So how can we honor God, promote the greatness of God as we talk about this? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church or the church of God. Number one, enjoy the blessings of God. I know the dangers of saying that. Again, remember the prohibition is drunkenness, not the enjoyment 
of what God has provided. Now, if you are drinking to escape, if you are drinking out of dependence, if you are drinking to somehow isolate, if you are drinking to somehow stuff the emotions, then that is not to the glory of God. If you are being pressured to drink by anyone, if you are drinking out of peer pressure, that is not for the glory of God. If you are giving if as an adult, say, well, I don't want them drinking out there. I'm going to buy the alcohol and, and have it in my house. And if you're giving alcohol to someone who is underage, that is not to the glory of God. So the, the key is, is enjoy God's blessings because they come from him. There are all kinds of warnings. We don't want to anesthetize the pain. We want to actually enjoy it out of a spirit-controlled life. Here's the second one. It actually gives us an opportunity to practice self-control or spirit-controlled living. It actually gives us an opportunity to say, is the spirit of God leading me to refrain? Is the spirit of God leading me to refrain? If you grew up in a legalistic background where it is don't, 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 maybe the spirit of God is saying, maybe I want you to understand that it's, there, it's, it's, it's okay, it's part of the blessing that I If you grew up in a very liberal household where where drunkenness was just all over the place, maybe the Spirit of God is saying, for a season, I don't want you to touch it. I told you this is so much bigger than do's and don'ts. It is about the Spirit of God leading us. Here's the third thing. This is rough work up here, you all. I'm telling you, it's rough work. It gives us an opportunity to talk about, again, as I mentioned Grace and legalism, what God says about it and what he doesn't say. The blessings of God should not carry a burden. And then finally, I think it points to a deeper thirst. I think it points to a deeper thirst. The whole subject and topic of alcohol and food, which we're going to talk about in this series as well, It points to so much bigger, a bigger issue is what is aching on the inside that only God can satisfy. It is that when I drink and when I drink in excess, I am drowning something. I am covering something. I am trying to get uh, get rid of the ache and the pain and the thirst and the hunger that God has placed inside of every single one of us. And you know how God does it? God satisfies the thirst. He satisfies the hunger with him who is the bread of life, with him who is the living water. So, so, so when I drink, I have to ask the question, is there a deeper hunger? Is there a deeper thirst? And have I allowed something like alcohol to control my life when the Spirit of God should be? much bigger than do's and don'ts, really is about who 
and what is in control of our lives. All right, that's it. This is green tea, you all. This is not... This is green tea. This is not my flask, all right? Um, So I'm going to ask the elders and I'm going to ask the prayer team members to come forward. If you have a need to pray with someone, if you have a need to say, you know, I don't know Jesus. And I have been trying to stuff and stuff and stuff. I've been trying to anesthetize my pain. Only Jesus can feel that. If you're an elder, elder, prayer team member, if you can come forward now. And I want to let you know, here at Trinity Church, we do have, if you've been trying to stuff and stuff and stuff, we do have, um, we do have a community called uh, CR Celebrate Recovery that meets on Thursday evenings that helps us with that. And so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... I would, I would encourage you to check it out. would encourage you to check it out. And so let's stand and let's have a closing prayer. Thank you all. Thank you all for paying attention, staying awake. Um, and uh, thank you for being a part of this church. We really do. We thank you for your gifts and abilities that you're using to help advance the kingdom of God. Thank you for giving regularly to this church. But more than that, thank you for showing up online as well as in the building to be a part of this community. Why? Because we want to advance the kingdom of God together. And this is just another topic that allows us to talk about what that might look like. Let me pray for us. So God, thank you for giving us your son. Communion pointed to that. He is the one who gives us life. He is the one um, that, that satisfies the deepest hungers in our lives, the deepest thirsts. And we pray that we would trust him every day of our lives as the living water. I pray that you would lead every single one of us by the power of your spirit this week to make decisions that are godly, make decisions that are wise, make decisions that are faithful, and even making decisions that call us to a different place in our lives these days. Help us to be those, help us to be the ones who fill in the gap between Van Gogh's Starry Night and Raising of Lazarus. Thank you for your love for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great week.